podcast about Ben and Stevie. Two American <laughs> kids growing up in front of the TV. <laughs> Ben's gonna be a YouTube star. Steve's gonna write a big script and buy a new car. Yes, <laughs> and life goes on. Was yeah. that a quality intro? That yes, that pumped me up, man. That's awesome. Yeah, you always need a little John Cougar Mellencamp. Little early JCM on. in the house. <laughs> I actually listened to Small Town earlier, and as it was playing, I was like, "Oh, I, I've never actually listened to the lyrics of this. This is pretty vapid." <laughs> you know, not I, a whole lot going on in it. I haven't listened to that, but you know what? I was listening to all day today, perhaps even subconsciously to prepare for the subject matter of our podcast today yeah i was jamming a little bit of painkiller by judas priest awesome (laughs) awesome that is a good way to get into this film i think so too and what i really like about that record is like Mm -hmm. it is pretty much like exactly what your parents think heavy metal sounds like yeah (laughs) yeah like it's 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 like uh the exact thing that your mother's worried about yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. I wish I could have like an exact tally of how many times like dads across the world like put their hands over the ears and went, "Turn that racket down!" <laughs> while Painkiller was playing. <laughs> what? Oh man, that's awesome to think about, though. The '80s. <laughs> Welcome, dead and lovely listeners, to another installment of Dead and Lovely, your absolute favorite horror movie review podcast in all of the land here with the host with the most i'm uncle ben and who's that other guy i got on this skype call over there in them hollywood hills you now tune into the motherfucking greatest steven spratling oh hollywood steve how you been doing this week man oh man been having a good week uh last night we went to um we went to this west hollywood restaurant called pump that is apparently Owned and operated by someone from the reality show Vanderpump Rules. I have no idea what that is because I'm over 30. I also don't know what it is. I I know it as a title. I know it exists. Um, Anyway. (laughs) You've been there, so it is real. Yeah. um, (laughs) Food was good. Um, The atmosphere was a little uh, snooty. My wife and I, um, we went to the bar and... (laughs) Uh, we were waiting on some people, so we weren't going to order drinks yet. Um, and so we, we just got, my wife got a, a Diet Coke and the guy behind the bar said four bucks. She handed him, uh, a 10 and he gave her back change and she was like, oh, you know, wanted to give him a tip. So she gave him a buck, but, uh, she was like, oh, where do I put this? And he goes, oh, you're not from around here, are you? Uh, uh, it's I'd also like, like to just backtrack and uh, say five dollars for a diet coke. Uh, yeah, yeah, what? it was it was expensive. That that's not common for. I mean, my wife and I go to restaurants all the time here in LA that are absolutely cheap as fuck. But yeah. uh, you can you can easily find a restaurant where you will overpay for for food, for sure. Damn, man. Yeah. So overall, was it okay though? Yeah, it was actually it was actually really good. Um, it was a birthday party for one of my wife's coworkers, and um, it was like we we had like a ton of appetizers, and then we got like all each of us got a meal, 
and there was just so much food like and, and it was good it was genuinely good food so that, that's always a real good time for me good times that does not sound that does not sound so bad now steve one thing i definitely want to comment on here is our recent discovery of oh, your man. bold <laughs> prophetic powers yeah. that you've had through the last several weeks of the show so you guys might not know it but usually this show is recorded several weeks in advance yeah of when it actually comes out and as we've been going through the old episodes and editing them and stuff we have figured out that steve has prophesized many 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 events on the show mm-hmm. weeks before they happen so several weeks ago um i think it was maybe on the maniac episode Right. You were talking about how sick it would be if the people on Game of Thrones encountered a wild polar bear, Lost style, and then about a week ago... They did. They did. <laughs> encountered yeah. a zombie polar bear. Yeah, I I don't know how I knew that that was going to happen, but I mean, you know, some people at home may be still doubting my prowess, so let's... Let's continue. What, what else have I predicted? Okay, so on the It episode, you called out one Ric Flair, who then about a I week did. or two later ended up in a medically induced coma. Yeah. Well, I mean, I called him on his shit 15-time world champ. <laughs> one-time world champ, old man. <laughs> Get out of the hospital the bed. <laughs> it's pretty incredible. I hear he's doing well, and and I hope he continues to do well. I'd like to just go ahead and give a big celebratory woo for his uh, arrival back in health. Woo! (laughs) There was another one, too, that you did where you predicted something crazy. I also, uh, last week, uh, on the It episode, I called out Dolly Parton. Oh, uh, yeah. And I was just just fucking around, because, you know, how could anyone hate Dolly Parton? But then... Uh, a, a few days later, an article came out where someone was critiquing uh, her ownership of Dixie Stampede. You know, and rightfully, there's a lot of Confederate flag and uh, South will rise again type of imagery in that show. Yeah. So, I mean, but, you know, even even in that article, the, the person wasn't calling Dolly a terrible person. Because how could you? How could you? <laughs> she's, she's just a sweet mountain pearl. I can't wait to see what you predict in this week's episode that is going to come true in about two weeks or so. I hope that you predict that, like, yeah. you and I are are measured and voted as, like, perfectly average penis-sized people. Yeah, isn't that... <laughs> that is, like... That's the dream, really. Totally I mean, average to normal. Yeah, because, like... I mean, sure, you can have a, a huge dick. Whatever. And some ladies or men will be into it. But a lot of people are like, it's just too big. Sorry. Get out of here, freak. It's superfluous. Average sized dick. It's like, yeah, okay, good. Yeah, that's serviceable. And we're going to probably be talking about dicks quite a lot on this episode because we're going to be talking about Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, Freddy's Revenge, also known as the gay one. Yeah. And in many estimations the gayest horror movie ever made exactly now other than that though this week steve what else have you been watching that was good oh man you really sprung that one on me i just did now. i snuck up on you do i need to give you yeah. a minute yeah what, what have you been watching all right so 
this is not, as we mentioned on previous episodes, a Game of Thrones spoiler podcast, but uh, <laughs> we just finished, at the time of recording this, we just finished the Game of Thrones season yeah. finale for 2017, and I think it it was one of the most metal things I have mm-hmm. ever fucking seen. I thought that it was awesome. That last five minutes was like... Um, just the most metal music video ever made. Did you notice too that in the most metal music video ever made, standing in the crowd of White Walkers was members of Mastodon? No, they that's were in there again. Awesome. Yeah, there's that scene where uh, again, no spoilers, but it shows like a huge group of White Walkers and just kind of standing there watching what's going on. Uh-huh. Brent Hines and Bill Kelleher from Mastodon are clearly visible, <laughs> just standing right there. Which I think is that's, super, super badass. I thought it was so cool. I thought it was awesome, man. And I keep seeing people complaining about how, oh, it's just like a fucking Hollywood action movie now, and yada yada. I, yeah. I just don't give a fuck. Like we mentioned on the other episodes, it's like it's conclusion yeah. time. It's the end of the fucking story. So yeah. I thought this season was pretty incredible. It's some really rewarding payoffs and stuff. Now, Steve, let me ask you one thing though, and this isn't really uh-huh. spoiler heavy either, but. I've seen a bunch of theories flying around that Bran is actually the Night King. Have you seen any of this? Yeah, I've I thought that for a while myself. What do you think about it? Do you think that's legit? Um, I think so. I think that Bran is the Night King. Um, because I, the theory is that Bran uses his time-traveling three-eyed raven powers Mm -hmm. to try to go... He's trying to go back and and stop the White Walkers from being created and then trying to stop them from getting south and then eventually trying to get them, you know, get humans to to fight them. And how he does this is first he he goes back in time and, and he tries to fight with the uh um what do you call it? the children of the forest yeah, to yeah. fight the the humans to try to come to some peace and that actually ends up creating the white walkers uh and then he goes and he is Bran the builder who builds the wall that's kind of like on the nose it's magic. like oh he yeah. has the same fucking name of course yeah and then um the further he he goes and tries to whisper in Aegon Targaryen's ear that he needs to go and stop the white walkers and he needs to burn them all and that's right. why that's why Aegon Targaryen was was ranting burn them all as you know he was going insane just like Hodor started, you know. Yes, saying that's, Hodor. that's exactly what I was gonna say. Is it kind of makes sense in the same way that he told Ho- Hodor to hold the door, and it kind of flipped his mm. switch and turned him kind of um, turned his mind into mush. It's kind of like the same thing with Targaryen as well. We might want to put a spoiler alert on that one. <laughs> it could be. It could be. Um, I don't know. Like, I think it's interesting to kind of explore that. But I'll be honest. It's a little too J.J. Abrams for me. I kind of hope that that's not the case. Yeah, I hope that... Um, I mean, because in this season, they had to set up a lot of things and, mm-hmm. and c- draw some conc- things to conclusion so they can just get to the end. Um, and so some of the stuff did feel rushed, but I, I think they'll have time to explore what is, you know, the finale, which is the fight against the dead and then you know dealing with (laughs) cersei i guess yeah yeah 
I uh, I hope they come up with some kind of cool way to to convey all that stuff about who the Night King actually is. Like I said, I mean, if if it's Bran and they come up with a cool way of doing it, that's fine. But I almost just think that's a little too sci-fi in this vast fantasy universe. Although that that really is the cool thing about Game of Thrones and the way that this universe is set up is that you know there are magical people there are kings and queens there are dragons there are pirates there are barbarians it's kind of like he figured out a really cool way to kind of fit a little bit of every um you know cool character type from an rpg or whatever yeah he's basically like he's leading us through an awesome D &D campaign yeah exactly And that's why any character can die at any time because he's using that chaos engine of of D and D. Like he's he's using that idea of just rolling the die and seeing what comes up. And that's why it's so awesome and so fun to watch. Definitely, I'm so excited to see how it wraps up. And after it's done, I can't. You know, it's like I'm really super stoked just to watch it all again and just see it start to finish and binge it in like you know a couple of weeks and just see the progression and see the characters yeah. age and see the characters mature and stuff. I'm really looking forward to that whenever the show is done in, you know, fucking 2019 or whatever. Yeah, I I I hope to be able to see that there is a clear through line from beginning to end and that and that it doesn't really fall off, you know, in the last two seasons. Like I hope it doesn't just give up on giving us closure and and still developing the characters like you you don't have to you don't have to only be giving us closure mm-hmm. we we still need to see the characters becoming what they they are and mm-hmm. i think we still saw that in the last season with you know some characters i, I don't want to name names but sure uh yeah i think i think it's it's gonna be one of those things where sitting down and watching it all the way through like sitting down and watching the extended editions of lord of the rings oh, like yeah where it's just like, yeah, I think this was worth it. <laughs> Absolutely so, man. Now, in addition to the old Game of Thrones, I recently sat down and watched um, one of my favorite movies with a buddy who had actually never seen it before. We sat down and watched the good old Adams Family movie, the original one. Awesome. Yeah. Which I've seen a million times, and that is one of my all-time favorite comedies ever. It is so, like, morbid. Uh-huh. And, and dark and hilarious and yet at the same time still like kind of family friendly because it's not like yeah so over the top like a kid couldn't watch it or something but it is just a really unique movie that I don't think that there's really much anything else that has that same sort of tone of humor in it I really love it yeah I think I think uh, The Simpsons and Roseanne uh, opened the way for that Adam's family, yeah, re, like revive because, like, we we saw that people like to watch dysfunctional families that were a little bit weird and maybe you know had some darkness to them, and so yeah, then it's obvious bring back the Adam's family. It's so good, man. I really enjoy it. I watch that one several times every year, and it's still just fucking so good to me, man. I really dig it. So, what have you been seeing here lately? Um, I've watched a number of movies. I watched one uh, just yesterday on Amazon called Black- The Blackwell Ghost, I think. Mm, I don't know it. It's set up like a documentary, and 
like you know it's not real in the end but it's it's not like you're watching say blair witch mm-hmm. or um paranormal activity though there are some similarities i would say but it it really is it sort of meanders and has a really document documentarian sort of feel to it uh and so by the end when you get like you know all the what you see the big reveals by that point you kind of are sucked into it and, and huh. believe like well this might be a documentary like it it, it sort of turns that trope of you know uh using the documentary format but not like making it seem like a real documentary yeah. it kind of turns that on on its head and just says like no but what if it was like a real documentary and and it seemed absolutely real you know it, it's hard it it's not hard it i as someone who doesn't believe in ghosts in the least bit it's not hard at the end to be like was that real or whatever yeah but yeah i would say if you if you're prone to that belief you might be like was that real like it, it has a very realistic feel to it and a, and a good realistic ending that's cool man that sounds pretty interesting yeah it's it's on amazon um i recommend it. i say it's like a an hour and 20 minutes not very long and and definitely worth a watch i think the only other cool thing i've been watching lately is of course more seinfeld which continues to deliver the maximum awesome. lol what season are you on season five Okay, okay. What's the most recent episode you watched? The most recent one we watched is where um, George has to pretend that he's a marine biologist to impress that chick. <laughs> uh-huh. Fuck. Yeah. It was so funny. And Kramer's <laughs> out there hitting <laughs> golf balls into the ocean. And yeah. <laughs> he ends up, like, choking that whale. And then yeah. George has to step out. And he saves the whale. But then he confesses <laughs> to the chick that he's not a marine biologist. And she's like, go to hell. And he takes the bus home. It's the best. It's so good. That show's so great. I'm really like watching that show. I'm reaching this dividing point in my life where I'm like, if you don't think that Seinfeld is funny, I'm really just thinking less of you as a person. It's kind of like yeah, when you find out that someone like voted for Trump and really is still on board with him, you're like, oh, I yeah. really just think less of you now. Yes, that happens to me all the time oh my on God. Facebook. Yeah. Oh my God. And, but yeah. now it's like, if you don't think Seinfeld is funny, I'm like, okay, this is your problem. This is not Seinfeld's problem. It's so fucking good. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're not trying. That's no. the problem. You're uh-huh. not trying. Like, you don't so. even have, like, if you have to try to get Seinfeld, you're a lizard person. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're from the bottom of our flat earth. <laughs> Down there where the tortoise is holding it up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wonder how they explain that eclipse business we had. Oh, I think it's like um, they they would say because they they think that the edges of the earth are being uh, guarded by soldiers and that have a ray that will knock out your memory. So I imagine they would just say that somebody put a big plate in front of the sun. I think you just sold me on the whole theory though, because that sounds pretty legit. Yeah, the more the more I talk about it, the more I realize like, oh, they got something going there. So you're telling me they've got Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones out there at the edges. Yeah, they're men in black in it. They're just like, hey, look at this little pin here. And then boom, you're on your way to Tahiti and you're, you know, uh, at a luau. <laughs> or maybe like he just holds that little pin thing and he's like, welcome to Miami. Bienvenido, Sammy. 
<laughs> That's yeah. just so fucking stupid, man. I saw a, <laughs> I saw some huge explanation from people about like how it's costing NASA like billions of dollars to engineer this fake eclipse, and it's like, God damn it, you people! Like, do you not <laughs> do you not realize eclipses have been documented for hundreds, thousands of years before the creation of fucking NASA, you people? I, you know what? I think maybe um, there's there's a good episode of um, oh damn it, what's the name of that show? There's uh, a show on True TV called Adam Ruins Everything. Oh yeah, 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 I love that stuff. Really great. Um, he had they have an episode recently about how you you can't really change someone's mind, <laughs> like. Um, I a lot of those episodes really they end on an uplifting note and that one does too but the the first 15 minutes will get you pretty depressed because <laughs> you just start to see like oh god there's no way we can get through to these people yeah but, you know we, we got we have hope in future generations hopefully i Who sure knows? hope i sure hope so man well, the main subject of our podcast today is, of course, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, Freddy's Revenge, which I have just watched for, I'd say, probably maybe the fourth or fifth time. I watched it yeah. for the first time many moons ago. I think I mentioned on maybe our original Elm Street uh, episode, which you guys can go and check out on our back issues there. Uh, my buddy Brandon Suttles and I sat down and watched all of them consecutively over the course of a week or two. That's and awesome. It was. And it's like, that was my first time watching them. It was probably maybe, I don't know, 10 years or so ago, something like that. And I'd never seen any of them. And I remember whenever I watched the second one for the first time, I was kind of just, I guess, sort of confused about it. Like, I didn't really connect with it the way that I did with the first one. Because the first one, like, I've loved that movie from the first time that I've seen it. I love the first Elm Street. And the second one just left me feeling kind of confused because it is, it's very, very, very different from the first one in very, very many ways that we'll, we'll talk about today. But, you know, one of the big attractions of this flick is that there is a huge uh, kind of homosexual undertone to the entire movie, which is very much up for debate as far as the intentions or the planning of it. But in order to sort of get into the spirit of that sort of subject matter, my man Steve and I here have decided to take a quiz to find out if we're tops or bottoms. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> this is a quiz on BuzzFeed by... Yeah. Sarah Carlin and Saeed Jones that my man Steve found here earlier today. And this is the most sensitive way we felt that we could deal with this subject. Yeah, exactly. As two straight, married, white males, this yeah. seemed to make sense to us. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and put it out there before any of the stuff that we discuss in this episode and just say, dead and lovely... Meaning me and Steve do not give a fuck no. if anybody is gay or not. It seriously does not matter mm. to us. It it blows my mind that it matters to anybody. Yeah, I'm uh, definitely an ally. I don't understand anyone's problem with no. uh, with 
dealing with gender, dealing with sexuality. I, I don't understand what the issue is. Like, how how does it affect you? And, and how is it you really think it's going to affect your kids? Because that seems to be what people are worried about so much. But I know. what is, like, what, what do you think is going to happen when your son sees a guy in a dress? Like, yeah. is your son going to say, hey, maybe I could wear a dress? And then maybe he wears a dress and he likes it. Okay, so what? Yeah, who fucking cares? Who cares? Now your son looks nice in a dress. So what? Like, it's fine. Just be happy that your your child is alive and happy. Yeah, seriously. And, you know, to me, it's like all that it really comes down to any time that I see any fucking, you know, Bible thumping or whatever else is your excuse. People, you know, raging on, on gay people and all that stuff. To me, they can present their arguments all day long as for why it's wrong and why they don't approve right. of it. But it's like they keep flapping their lips, and all that I hear is, you don't come the right way. <laughs> That's all that I hear. It's Because yeah. seriously, it's like uh-huh. that is all that it comes down yeah. to, is that you're choosing the wrong way to get off. That's it. Yeah, the heteronormative ideal that there is there is a single perfect way to have sex, and yeah. that is, you know, uh, man on top of woman. No eye contact. Lights man off. ejaculates. Lights off. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I don't think, I don't think that is the life many people lead. I mean, be, people may say that's what they want, but then it's not what they do. Yeah. I mean, we, we know that just from Pornhub releasing their statistics state by state and finding out that states that are traditionally very racist are also really into interracial porn. Yeah, I saw that, dude. Yeah. So, like, you know, people, they're afraid of things that they like a lot of times. Like, and that's what this movie is about, is that fear of what it is that you you like inside of you. What you have been told is bad your whole life. Yep. So it's like a monster to you. Yeah. You don't want to let it out. And that's, yeah, that's this. I guess it's subtext still in this movie. It's never outright said, but it's so overt <laughs> oh yeah which especially yeah. considering you know the year that this was made and stuff is like profoundly ahead of its time mm. and really 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 groundbreaking in uh a lot of ways we'll talk kind of more about that as we as we go along but steve i gotta know if you're a top or a damn bottom i gotta know well, we've both proclaimed our bottom bunkness so it's <laughs> true that i might have something to do with it yeah, so let's find out. So the first one is pick a color, and we got uh, we got six options here: red, yellow, orange, blue, purple, and green. Ben, what would you choose? I'm a greensman, as you know. That's true, and I I love the color orange. You're an orangeman. I knew that. I knew yep. that. All right, so that's pretty that's pretty easy. So our next question here is Namaste. Pick a yoga pose. I'm gonna do my best to describe what's going on in these in these yoga poses. One and is. I, I'll be doing them so you guys okay. can hear what they sound like. Okay, so the first one here is a person doing a headstand and splitting their legs. What's that sound like? <laughs> <laughs> Next uh. we have what I, I believe is actually referred to as hero pose, which is kind of the bending one knee, other leg straight, arms straight out at your sides. Oh, crack, 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 crack. Oh, yeah, that's good. <laughs> I don't know what this other one is, but it's a person holding their legs straight out and their arms are out. Look at me, mom. 
Look yeah. what I can do! This next one here is kind of like a person that's turned into a sideways letter K. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's that uh -huh. sound like? That sounds like, give me a K! K! <laughs> this one is a real show-off. Somebody, like, bending their leg behind their head and holding it in their arm. Like, being like a human bow and arrow. Okay, and this one, obviously, you would say after you did it, now watch me cannon poop into the toilet. <laughs> Doesn't that look like maybe what you're trying to get at with that pose? Just a shoot a poop? It seems like this person is kind of Babe Ruthing it, kind of like calling it like, yeah. this is how yeah. far it's going to go. It's going to go pretty far. You guys look 40 yards down. That's where my poop will land. Cannon poop. Uh-huh. And the last one. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a bent leg sort of head up and, and arms straight up pointing up to the heavens. Oh, yeah, that's good. Oh, oh, yeah, oh, pop. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Which of these poses describes you best, Steve? <laughs> well, that one. Honestly, that one looks like it would feel good right now. I think so. The, the last one, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go with the hero pose on the second one. Yeah, well, that's badass. You I got think to. that's me. He looks confident and secure. Oh, yeah, that dude walks in a room doing that. Everybody's just going to be like, oh, okay. All right, what's going on? Jim. <laughs> What's our next question here, Steve? Do you prefer to be in charge in the bedroom? I think this is probably a, the determining question, right? I mean, I mean, this is about like interior design and choosing wallpapers, oh, linens. Oh, well, okay. All right. Pretty similar for me then. Um, all right. Answers here are, is there any other way? Mm. It depends. Mm. None of your business. Mm. No. I really don't care. Yes. Yes. Okay. What do you say, Ben? I'm just going to go with it depends because honestly, it's the kind of thing that I think that, that either way, mm -hmm. it uh -huh. can get, it can get good to me either way. Yeah, I, uh, I would agree with that, but I'm going to go with yes. Uh. Yes. Uh. Okay. So our next one here we got is cool. Want to split this piece of cake? Pick a slice. I don't okay. really understand what this means. I don't either. All right, so we got six choices here. We got, what does this have to do with anything? Which apparently is what we were just expressing. Yeah. Ooh, this piece. Uh-huh. I'm not hungry. Okay. You pick first. Right. Okay. Really? Right. And this piece looks good. Also, my huge dog, Zora, just decided to come downstairs and visit me. Hello. Aw. Yeah. Does she have a ball? <laughs> no, she doesn't. She just come down to apparently lick my foot vigorously. She need to come Ooh. all the way down here to do this. That's very sweet. That's very sweet. It's something. Um, so I would go with, ooh, this piece. All right, so you're choosing that one. I think I'm probably going to go with, I'm not hungry, because generally by the time I get to a dessert kind of scenario, That's I've already true. stuffed myself. I'm not really much of a, yeah. much of a dessertsman. No, I, I like I like sweets, but I, I have them just separate, you know, at a different time. Cause yeah, I would prefer to have the the savory. I'd prefer to fill up on the the dish. Mm -hmm. Not not a huge uh, dessertman. You're a dish. Oh, fresh. <laughs> um, okay, so your favorite Golden Girl. I already know this one for me, real easy. But we got Sophia Petrillo. We got Rosen Island, we got Dorothy's Bornak, and Blanche Devereaux. 
Ben, who's your favorite Golden Girl? I'm gonna get real with you here, Steve. Uh-huh. Never watched the Golden Girls. I don't know anything about them. Say, huh? Um, well, choose between your favorite uh, actress here, then, I guess. <laughs> now, Rose Nyland is old... Uh, Betty White? Yeah, so obviously Rose Nyland. There you go. That's a good one. She is immortal and all-powerful. Have you ever watched uh, Raising Hope? I haven't. No um, way! Are you serious? Wait, hold on. Who's in it? Uh, Betty White. Oh, is she? And okay. not really a whole lot of other people, honestly. But it's kind of like, I would sort of relate it to sort of a more comedic, zanier Roseanne. It's about like a white trash family. There's um, uh-huh. there's a handful of seasons of it, I guess. It was on Netflix for a while. It might be on Hulu now. Dude, it is so fucking good. You really need to watch that. I'll have to check it out. Fucking so funny. Well, I'm going to go with Dorothy's Bornak because she is the uh, the wry, sarcastic wit of the four ladies, though I do love them all. She looks pretty frigid in that picture. She looks cold as ice. <laughs> She's Maud. So anyway, um, well, Steve, let me ask you a question. On a Saturday night out there in the Hollywood Hills, uh-huh. you are most likely choose one. Are you staying in? Mm-hmm. Are you having a movie night with your friends? Mm-hmm. Maybe you're down at the local dive bar. Uh. Maybe you can't even remember. What? Are you on drugs? Perhaps you're clubbing. I assume meaning clubbing seals. No, that's not. That's in bad taste. Or maybe you're just Netflixing all night, which I would assume would kind of combine with staying in, but fuck me, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I would say, for me, because uh, uh, I would pick staying in, but me staying in would be Netflix all night, and it would also be movie night with friends, because I'd be hanging out with my wife and my cute dog. Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of a combo answer. So which one did you go with there? Uh, I'm going to just say Netflix all night. I think that sounds like a pretty reasonable kind of answer. You know, usually on a Saturday... Um, yeah, we are typically we're typically at the house. We might be at the house cooking a meal. We might be at the house watching a movie, or we might be walking the dogs, kind of in the Ooh. neighborhood of the house. So I'm gonna just I'm gonna go with staying in because either way, those all involve kind of staying close to home. Yeah, staying in's the best, honestly. All you kids out there, you know, have your fun, etc. But it's it's awesome when you realize that like not doing something is an option and and it's just so great yeah (laughs) exactly not do anything (laughs) all my stuff is here dude it's the best stuff too i've i've accumulated it over a long period of time (laughs) i also have the cheapest drinks in town yeah for real i'm not a barsman at all i don't like uh bars i don't Um, either dude i don't like drinking in bars especially too expensive Yeah, I know. And plus, it's like you can never get good and toasted because, well, at least around here, around Tennessee, you kind of got to drive everywhere. But of course, you you can Uber out. But again, that's just more fucking money. Yeah, I've been to a lot of bars here in L.A. And you know, L.A. does have a lot of uh, relaxed, uh, chill sort of bars that I really enjoy. There's one specifically that uh, is on the 70th or 71st floor of the tallest building in L.A., Mm. Um, and it has a 360 degree view of, of downtown. It's, it's really nice and, and relaxed. 
the drinks are pricey, but they're really good. So that's cool. I'll tell you my favorite bar in all of Los Angeles that I've been to, which isn't many, but I had a I had a phenomenal experience uh, about two years ago over at uh, Good Times Davy Wayne's. Oh yeah, uh-huh. which is a okay. it's like a seventies themed uh-huh. uh, kind of bar club. Have you ever been out there? Uh, no, but I know they have uh, really good uh, old fashions. Is that right? That's correct. That's kind of like their yeah. house drink that they have on tap. Yeah, um, I would l- absolutely love to go there. I, I only like going to bars with, uh, um, generally just my cousin. Yeah, <laughs> and my cousins who live out here are really fun at bars. They're uh, they're fun guys, and um, I think we have a similar sense of humor. So whenever I go out to bars with them, I, I have a good time. But I, I still always just think, you know what? If I was at home right now, that seven dollars I spent would have bought like you know half of a, a great 12 pack of beer yeah exactly now next time you go with your cousins you guys should definitely try to get into a davy wayne's the uh yeah the last time i was there amongst a laundry list of other shenanigans that happened uh, my myself and my main man andy wood and a, a couple of other of our, our buddies that we played with ended up sitting in with the house band Oh, that's fucking awesome. Which the house band is comprised of members from, do you remember Hot Hot Heat? Yes. The house band is the guys from Hot Hot Heat, and they play 70s uh, classic like rock covers. We ended up sitting in with them and playing Freebird drunk as fuck. Dude, that's awesome. It was the best. And this is after we watched um, two of the like nationwide ranking best roller skaters doing this roller skating routine on the roof, like 30 feet in the air to uh golden earrings, radar love. <laughs> I'll send you <laughs> videos later and maybe we can post videos you just on Instagram. Described or like my wet dream. It like, was the best. It was the craziest that night. Awesome. And that was only like the middle part of the night. The stuff that happened before and after <laughs> that was absolutely insane. So yeah, uh, it was the fucking best, dude. So yeah, well, I'll, I'll try to send you that video or something. It's the best. My favorite dive bar, by the way, in in Los Angeles, is definitely the Kibitz Room, which is attached to Cantor's Deli. Mm. It's it's awesome. I love mm. it so much. It's it's a hole in the wall, and the regulars are fucking characters, and they have music sometimes good, a lot of times real bad. Oh boy. And, y- you're attached to a 24-hour deli where you can go get some amazing pastrami. So. I'm on board with that, man. But, you know, generally, I'm, I'm totally with you. Like, the idea of leaving the comfort of my own home to, like, go yeah. sit among strangers in a super noisy place where I have to yell to be heard, and God forbid, maybe even a smoking place, which I fucking oh. hate being around. Yeah, we... We don't have those out here, but the moment you walk outside a bar, it's 50 people smoking, so... Oh, yeah. And then dealing with parking and all that kind of stuff, and then... Yeah. I don't know, man. It's like, you'll go and you'll spend on, like, three or four drinks what you could have just, like, bought, like, a fifth of liquor with. It's just... I don't know. I don't like it. Yeah, and my favorite person to get drunk with, again, is uh, my wife. And then the other favorite people I have to get drunk with, we go to bars, I guess, so... Like, there you go. My wife and I hang out at home. I I can range out if I'd like. But again, I'd rather be home. So, <clears throat> what do we got next here, Ben? All Hypothetically, right. when playing America's Pastime, would you rather pitch or receive? 
You're talking about a baseball. A baseball, yeah. Um, I would pitch. I hate baseball. Wait a minute. Mm. Nice try. I'd play catcher. I'd play the field. Okay. I legitimately hate playing baseball. I am a super mm. highly unathletic person. Mm-hmm. I cannot pitch anything. I cannot catch anything. Mm. I was I was kind of the guy that like anytime buddies were playing baseball or whatever, I would always be that guy that's just like outfield that never really gets hit on, you know? Oh, yeah. I'm just I'm useless. So I'm going to I'm going to go with I hate baseball. I think that you played though, didn't you? Yeah, I did play baseball and I I did. I played catcher. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I played catcher and I played right field and um mostly played catcher the last few years I played. Uh but if I were to play, first off, I'm too old to play catcher. That's not good for your knees. Mm. Um and second off, I never I wasn't good at pitching. I was good at throwing from afar, but never good at uh, you know, throwing to a catcher's glove. Yeah. So I'm just going to say I'd play the field, even though I know that that has an alternate meeting. <laughs> what? Say, huh? All right, now, now, now that I know that you're a field playing, stay at home kind of guy, <laughs> where would you love to live? Now, we got a couple options here. We've got a Wyoming. Yeah, very beautiful. We've got a New York. Uh huh. City of big dreams. New York City. City of it's in the salsa. water. <laughs> I'm walking here. <laughs> Bagels. I don't yep. know. Does that work? Mm-hmm. <laughs> We've got Oregon, where there's nothing. Oregon. Alaska, where there's less than nothing. Uh huh. <laughs> West Virginia, where there's uh. There's a mountain mama. Yeah, it's true. That's true. You got a great point there. And we have an Illinois. Illinois. It's noise. <laughs> That's how, like, in San Diego, people are like, oh, that place is probably pretty noise. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, that's so bad. Uh-huh. <laughs> so my my wife, my wife, she did at one point live in Alaska for several years. No kidding. And, yeah, and my brother-in-law and his wife, my, my sister-in-law, they live in Anchorage now. And I once lived in Russia, so my point is my wife and I have done our time in the cold, and I don't like any of these choices. That's yeah, why we really. moved to Southern California. Yeah. Um, but I guess if I have to choose, uh, I would prefer New York. So do you mean to say that your, your wife's twin brother, they live in Alaska now? No, uh, she has, my wife has four brothers. Oh, okay, right okay, on, yeah. man, right on. I yeah, didn't know if he was living out there. That's crazy. Yeah, he's, um, he was, uh, uh, an art major. He got his master's degree in, in art. He's really awesome. He has this, uh, series where he did, like, uh, you know how they're, like, cut of meat posters for, like, uh, Oh, butcher and, shops and stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He did it, but with, like, different type of monsters and mythological creatures. Oh, shit. Yeah, it's really cool. And he he does a lot of augmented reality stuff, uh, so. Damn, and now he's in fucking Alaska. Yeah. <laughs> well, he, he he's doing some augmented reality project up there, and he's also teaching. That's rad. So, 
I might have zoned out. Which one did you choose? I chose New York. Okay, right on. You know, I I don't know that I would live in any of these states, honestly. No, I, I definitely wouldn't. Um, maybe given, Oregon. Maybe Oregon. See, it's like, to me, maybe I would choose... Of these, I would choose New York, I guess. I know that my wife, like... Uh, mm-hmm. She lived in New York City in 2003 going to college and stuff up there, and that's like her yeah. favorite place in the oh, fucking I... universe. So I know that it would make her very happy to live there. So I would go to New yeah. York. Although, I will say, I have had a damn fine time in Wyoming as well. There was a time several years ago I was playing uh, just kind of fill-in guitar for a uh, for a heavy metal band on Roadrunner Records, and we got called out to do this um, this festival on the Shoshone Indian Reservation in Wyoming. It's like the same tribe as like Sacagawea. That's awesome. Dude, it was one of the most fun experiences I've ever had in my entire life. We went out there to just play their... It's called the Wind River Festival. It's like their annual... Uh-huh. It's actually like a profoundly relevant like spiritual festival and stuff that they do every year. And they invite bands from all over the country to come and play this thing. And they flew us out there and, dude, just treated us like fucking gold out on this Indian reservation. It was one of the most fun times and just like crazy, like, where the fuck am I and where is my life taking me experiences I've (laughs) I've ever had? Just flying out to Wyoming to play this festival. It was so fun, man. Wyoming is interesting, man. It's like, I mean, just miles and miles and miles and miles and miles of nothing. It's one of those places that you go to where you really realize how big America is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've I've uh, driven through the middle of the country and ridden through the middle of the country yeah. um, a number of times, and it's just so surprising when you get in, like, Kansas or, or places like that, and you just see, like, oh, there's, like, just open land <laughs> everywhere. Oh, yeah. And I can't help yeah. but think, too, whenever I'm in one of those areas where I'm like, it would be so easy for somebody to, like, murder me and just throw my body uh-huh. literally anywhere and nobody would ever know. Nope, they'd have no idea. They might not even know you were dead. They'd Aww. probably just assume you were lost. It's they'd really be like, sad. Where's the next weekend wing shop? No. <laughs> <laughs> hey, no fail. What's our next question we got on this shit list here, Steve? Uh, the thought of wearing a strap on makes you Ugh. cringe. Aye. Why would I need one? Yeah. Excited. Oh. I mean. I'm open to it. Nervous. <sighs> Yawn. Uh, I'm gonna go with the why would I need one? Um, yeah. I've I've got a dong. News alert. You know what? I'm gonna go with. I mean, I'm open to it because okay, I want to see where this goes. Yeah, maybe there's something there that uh that you can't provide or is just a different experience. Uh huh. Yeah. Or maybe uh you know. Uh, she's always wanted a two-dicked man. There you go. Maybe it's that man. Maybe it's that. It's the it's the DP with one P. She she as a young woman, uh, as as a, a young girl blossoming. Uh, th- this is the <laughs> grossest way to say like uh, a young girl who found out she wants to fuck dudes. Uh, she the first time she saw a dick, she also had a Velma experience where her glasses fell off. And she oh. was searching for them, and she looked up, and she saw two dicks. Oh! Because, yeah, and she just assumed that was normal, and then after that, every dude she saw, she was like, why do you only have one? Yeah, what's like, with what's this? What's wrong with you? Where's the Jesus. other Where's the other one? 
<laughs> Did yours get chopped off when you were born? <laughs> is that what circumcision is? Removing the second dick? Oh my god, they've been lying to us the whole time. Lock her up. Lock Marga, her up. Wait, Marga. what? <laughs> All right, so what's the next one, Ben? All right, now, Steven, just to be clear, during sexy time, what is sexiest to you? Hmm, okay. All right, we got a couple of choices here. We got being on top, which really, you can do banging on top or get banged on top. That's true. You know? That's true. Uh-huh. Uh, you know what? Position and and whether you're top or bottom seem to be unrelated. I know. I'm trying to... I'm, I'm thinking so here. Now we've got... Also, who's asking? Uh-huh. Right. Ooh. That old standby. Being dominated. Right. Just having sex would be sexy. Okay. You've also got the being the aggressor. Right. And also a not being on top. Okay, so... <laughs> Alright, seems pretty clear here. Um, I'm gonna say that... Uh, it looks to me, on my end, I'm gonna say being the aggressor. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I think... I think that that would actually also be my choice too, given these given these options right here. I think that that's where it's at. It's my body. I do what I want. I'm like Large Marge in charge. Yeah, in charge like Charles. You know that guy. Large Marge is my sex icon. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Okay, so I get it. Cause in the past we've talked about a Pennywise waifu. And I would say if, if Large Marge was your sexual icon, Pennywise would be, like, up there, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At brunch, you can be found sipping on all the mimosas. Not just one or two, all. No, all of them. Coffee. Mm. H2O, if you want to watch Halloween uh, <laughs> yeah. 20 years later. I'm sipping a DVD of H2O. Uh -huh. Yep, Busta Rhymes. Uh, oh shit, he is in that. Uh huh. At least three things. Protein shake. I'm still in bed, TBH. Mmm. All right. So, brunch to me uh -huh. is the most sacred meal of all because it is the time when I consume the holy trinity of liquids. What um, is those? It is. The morning drink, coffee. The daytime drink, water. And the nighttime drink, alcohol. Oh, so you're going to say at least three things, huh? Yeah, because anytime that we brunch, I'm always... I'm having a water because I am possibly hungover from the night before. Yeah. I'm having a coffee, possibly because I'm hungover from the night before. And right. I'm having a mimosa, possibly because I'm hungover from the night before. Yeah, yeah. I, um... <laughs> I'm, I'm going to tell you... I'm really genuinely upset Bloody Marys aren't on here. I know, right? Because the picture behind the question is a Bloody Mary. Yeah, what the fuck? Yeah. So anyway. Shot. Uh, I'm going to say all the mimosas since Bloody Mary's not an option and say that I went to a, a brunch spot in Santa Monica once with my, my family and my wife and it... <laughs> 
They had bottomless mimosas. Oh, that's for, a huge mistake. I'll put a place uh-huh. out of business doing that. Uh huh. Oh, and, and we almost did. We were there for they. They had a two-hour limit. We were there the full two hours drinking mimosas, and they had at one point they were playing uh little little John and the East Side Boys get low like unedited, <laughs> like loud as hell, and it was eleven. It was eleven on a Sunday. It was insane. I think I they were specifically catering for people who were having brunch after having been out literally all night and not yeah, going to bed. That's exactly it. They and they wanted you to feel like you don't have to think about what you're gonna do when you get home. Just come in here, drink bottomless mimosas, listen to loud ass music, and eat some pretty good food. Awesome. That rules. Okay, so you're going with mimosas. I'm going with three things. What's our so our next one here that we got here. It's a final question. And how would you define yourself? Okay. Mm. All right. This is probably the most important one. Uh, I'm a top. Okay. Mm. I consider myself versatile. All right. I don't use those terms. I don't really care. Mm. Isn't that what this quiz is for? Bottom, obviously. You know... I guess I would I would probably consider myself pretty versatile. I think that there's mm. I think that You're there's time. I got yeah, you. exactly, man. There's times that the 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 being large margin charge is great, mm-hmm. and and there's times that it's great to find yourself uh, getting tossed around by large marge. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I can't. I I seriously. Uh, I'm huge into tall girls, really love tall girls. And mm. the idea that, cause I'm, I'm pretty strong. I'm a pretty big dude. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> the idea that, cause I've always been able to pick up girlfriends and things. The idea that I would try to pick up a girlfriend and not that I wouldn't be able to, but that she would stop me. She would be strong enough to stop me. Uh, <laughs> That would be awesome. It would be like, oh, okay. That's yeah. Awesome. <laughs> uh, my wife uh, is, uh, she's a strong woman. She lifts uh, fatties for a living. That's how she refers to it. She <laughs> works in a hospital. Lifts fatties for a living. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's, it's the nicer way to say it because the other way is I clean up shit for a living. But like, she she uh, lifts fatties for a, a living, so she's a she's a strong broad. I though would say uh, I I consider myself versatile, but I'm not going to say that because that's what you said. So I'm just going to say, isn't that what this quiz is for? Yeah, there you go. Uh huh. All right, now Steve, my answer that I got here is probably is, exactly what I got. I yeah. It, well, if that's going by the the way these quizzes usually go, I uh, got you got. Traditional label, label, blah, 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 blah. Oh, let's, that's let's try. not what I got. <laughs> let's try again. <laughs> Traditional <laughs> labels are meaningless. Tops right. and bottoms, there's a lot more to the world than those blunt terms encompass. You get to yeah. define yourself, and you're free to celebrate your sexuality however you choose. Hooray! Do what feels good. It's got a top bunk and a bottom bunk. You know, um... I got versatile, oh. which seems pretty much the same as yeah, what you just said. Of, yeah. You must be super accommodating and always go with the flow. 
Or maybe not. Hmm? Your day-to-day -day personality traits don't define what you do in the bedroom, and frankly, it's no one's business but your own. I... what? Get out of here, Mike Pence. I make it a lot of people's business. Um, yeah. as long as you're having a good time, you're doing it right. It's your sexy time. Go get some. I mean, I agree with some of that, but, um, my wife is a person who almost immediately brings up, uh, sex in conversations with, uh, people at parties. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I, at one point, was semi-embarrassed by it, I guess. But I always was just like, oh, that's my wife. That's what she does. But now I'm just like, you know what? Every time she does this, we end up having these amazing conversations because it's so weird how, like, if you watch a sitcom, if that happens on a sitcom, everybody's like, weird it out. Yeah. But, like, if it happens at a real party, people are like, oh, it's nice to be able to talk this way. Normal like, it's nice out. Yeah. It's, it's totally nice to be able to just be like, you know what? I can tell you the, all that weird shit I've been thinking and you don't think I'm weird so it's pretty cool it's it's real cool to be able to talk to people who have no real hangups and my wife's one of them and you know I think that that sort of level of acceptance um, is something that is a huge driving factor in our movie that we're going to cover yeah. this week here on, on Elm Street 2 now this movie, as we mentioned, is is widely known as The Gay Elm Street. It's also widely uh -huh. known as the gayest horror movie ever made, and just sort of generally one of the gayer movies uh, ever made. What do you think about those statements, Steve? Well, I mean, like, it is. It's it's great. Like, to, to consider... I mean, I know that as a young man when I saw Sleepaway Camp... Yeah. I was not disgusted at the end, but interested. Mm -hmm. It made me realize, like, oh, that's a thing that can that can happen. That maybe someone is another gender despite their genitalia. And uh, I think that people look at that movie as, you know, an obvious, like, sort of slasher stereotype. But they, they overlook the heart of that movie, Sleepaway Camp, which yeah. is that there's a lot of acceptance and there's a lot going on with like dealing with your gender identity and your sexuality that uh, is is really well done and yeah. this movie i think has some of that i, I think, think so too definitely that it deals with the idea that uh that your sexuality is a monster inside of you that you have trouble controlling mm -hmm. and i think that resonates on a, a gay or straight level no matter what or any other uh, sexuality that <laughs> could be labeled i it's always going to be true that you feel like your sexuality is something a bit monstrous so it, if your sexuality is something monstrous that you sort of have to always be dealing with it's interesting to put it in those terms in a film that is uh, dealing with gay sexuality. Yeah. Because what it's doing is normalizing it sure. in a way. It's normalizing it by saying, yeah, that's how we all feel. We all feel like our sexuality is this monstrous thing that we have to keep in check or that we have to get a handle on 
or that we have to find the right people to uh, help us do the things that that we want to do sexually like so it's it's this thing that we hide within ourselves even it's straight or gay but sure. particularly gay and particularly in this movie where there there's some like there's some strong hom homophobia shown by some of the characters definitely but it also uh i don't know there's this interesting undertone that like even in the scenes with the more homophobic characters, one being the the friend, uh, what's Grady. his name? Gray Grady, yeah, Grady. Um, he he's obviously not gay, but he seems pretty sympathetic in one of the more gay scenes. Right, and that's a scene pretty late in the movie where, um, <laughs> where Jesse basically shows up at Grady's house and says, "I have to sleep here." Yeah. Like, I have to sleep with you. And it's, he goes with it. Yeah, he kind of goes, he's like, he's like, well, you know, explain what's going on, etc. And he, you know, he thinks it's weird. He thinks what's going on is weird, but he's, he's more open to it than you would immediately have thought. So, like, there, there's an openness in this movie. And there's, there's a, there's, there's hypocrisy shown, too, where people that seem like these uber males, like the coach... Who seems like yeah. seems like the super male is actually he's also into S and M. Um, obviously he's he's the S in the S and M, but he he knows that about himself, and he he's pursued it, which is uh different than you would normally find with a small town gym coach. Now, one of the things about this movie that I think is really interesting, especially considering the time period, is that um. You know, again, we'll talk about this a little bit more as we go here, but whether they intended it to be so or not, the main protagonist in this movie uh, is definitely gay. And for one, you know, one point of interest is this is the only Elm Street movie where the main character is male. But uh -huh. I was also thinking, too, this is really, as far as I know, and correct me if I'm wrong, this has got to be one of the only movies and definitely one of the only horror movies with a gay main character um you know what that it is one of the few okay so there's a couple others there are others okay now the the most famous is is always going to be <laughs> nightmare on elm street 2 uh no yeah. one's ever going to beat that but um a few years before that, William Friedkin, director of The Exorcist, directed mm. a movie called Cruising. Um, I've heard about that movie. It sounds fucking crazy. I've watched a few clips yeah. of it, and I'm like, God damn, I cannot believe this came out so long ago. Yeah, yeah so Al Pacino uh, is basically uh, infiltrating the gay community, or he's in the gay community, trying to find the guy, this guy who is killing... Gay people. I, I believe it is um, Joe Spinell from uh, Maniac. Oh, God. He's the killer in that movie. So, anyway, that has a main character who's gay. It's it's less of a horror movie, though. It's more of a, I would say, a thriller, like mm -hmm. a crime thriller. Right. But there is, of course, the movie The Hunger with Susan Sarandon, Sarandon and Catherine Deneuve. I haven't seen that. Uh, they have a sex scene together. 
It's uh oh, not the first lesbian vampire movie though. We also have a pretty interesting movie called Vampiros Lesbos. Okay, I've heard of that. Came out in 1971. Um Italian, I believe. Wow. It's Yeah, so actually it's interesting because in when, the early development of the vampire story um, one of the earliest tales was uh, Camilla, I believe it's called, and it is about a female vampire who's a lesbian, and it, mm. it was, you know, mid-19th century, so the idea of a lesbian vampire has been around for a long time. So, this movie's not the first with a gay lead, but it is, I would say very interesting among those with gay leads in that it deals directly with the um problem of his sexuality throughout like mm -hmm. he's not just a gay character in the movie he's not just the gay lead who just has a, a character arc that doesn't have to do with his sexuality the arc is his sexuality. Like he's dealing with his sexuality. He's dealing with what he wants to be and what he doesn't want to be. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the end, this movie does have the complicated idea that there is a choice for him. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. So that that's a problem. But um, it is still interesting the way that it, it looks at sexuality and I guess just teenage sexuality in gen general this deals with that coming of age and, and realizing who you want to fuck and how you want to fuck them etc like he's he's going through that and he's having a real tough time with it now other than the other than those themes that we see throughout the movie of course you know one of the main draws of this movie is of course Robert England's uh, portrayal of Freddy Krueger, which so good, yeah, yeah, it's it's amazing. And interestingly enough, like it was, it almost didn't happen in this movie. They tried basically just getting yeah a stuntman to play the part of Freddy Krueger because Robert England demanded a raise after the first uh, Elm Street so well. success. Yeah. yeah, exactly. He was like, okay, I need to make a little bit more money off of this. And initially, they denied him, which is insane considering how like if you watch that first Elm Street, it's like how could anybody replace him you know yeah well i mean this this movie was released less than a year after the first one so it's amazing yeah they were in a hurry and like, they they apparently filmed some test scenes with this stunt guy and they just immediately realized what a huge mistake that they had made yeah because freddy's a character he's not just a presence like say jason Right. Or or Michael Myers, he's a character. Yeah, exactly, because that's the thing. is like That's why when you watch you know, Halloween, you don't notice that there's like five or six different people that play Mike Myers. It's because yeah, he wears... Yeah, what does it matter? Yeah, he wears a mask. He doesn't talk. He doesn't do anything, whereas Freddy is, like you said, a character. And I think that this is also... You know, this one in a little bit of three, it's kind of the last time that we get to see a serious Freddy Krueger because... Yeah, it gets it gets more comical as yeah, it goes. exactly, man, which, which is fine, and it's like, we know it, we love it, but at the same time, 
I mean, goddamn, the the idea of Freddy Krueger, the idea of a guy that can kill you in your dreams, is absolutely terrifying. Also, a former yeah. you know child murderer and sort of hinted at child molester and stuff. It's like that's a fucking terrifying character. I think the the decision to make him sort of a wisecracking, silly Looney Tunes character, I I don't know that I really love it. So I I really like that in this movie, he doesn't really wisecrack at all or do anything that's too cartoonish or silly and i also really like his his look in this movie now it's not the same makeup artist that did the effects in the first one and i can't remember his name that did the effects in this one but he said that his goal was to make freddie look like a male witch were his were his words which i think is interesting too because then even just by saying male witch it's like he could have said warlock, which I know isn't traditionally the same thing, but saying male witch is kind of like saying a male, female type character, which again kind of goes yeah. into some of the themes of this movie. Yeah, and I think it it plays well. Uh, this is <clears throat> the Nightmare on Elm Street timeline is interesting. I don't know yeah. if you know this, but the first movie is set in 1981, mm-hmm. even though it came out in 1984. This movie is set five years after the first movie. Okay. It came out in 1985. Five years after 1981 would be 86. Okay. So this movie is the future. It's huh. not 1985. It is a future time, 1986. Now, three, four, and five all take place on the exact same year they came out. But then six came out in 1990 and takes place in 1999 which is actually ahead of um new nightmare yeah new nightmare is set in real time 1994 so the idea then would be that between 1994 and freddy coming completely out of the movie uh he then has he's killed all the kids Hmm. basically in america and it's this future where they're uh, like there's only like this one kid and some others left so pretty crazy that's interesting (laughs) Um, i hadn't thought about it that way so this movie is set though in a period where freddy is is dead freddy died like if we follow the the arc of freddy through these movies this is the one time that freddy died and he wasn't sure how to get back yeah. He wasn't sure how to get back in the world. So this is the movie that explores him trying to get himself back into the world. And his powers are different in this movie okay. than they ever have been. Yeah, now that is a huge area of dispute. And this is a very, very, very widely hated movie. Kind of like how Halloween 3 is very much widely loathed among Halloween yeah. fans. This yeah. movie is very much hated among Elm Street fans because a lot of Freddy's powers and his sort of mythos absolutely do not make sense whatsoever in regards no. to the rest of the series and how we perceive him. So this movie, for example, is primarily kind of a possession movie more than a nightmare movie because basically it seems like Freddy, while our main character there, Jesse, sleeps, he kind of takes over... And makes him do stuff like go and kill people. Now, yeah. it's it's really more of a possession kind of thing. And it's interesting, too, to notice that, like, 
none of the deaths in this movie happen in people's dreams. No, not one of them. It's all it's all in Jesse's dream. Yes, exactly. And that's something that I was noticing. Well, not all. I mean, some of it some of it happens outside of Jesse's dreams for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely parts where nobody is asleep and people are getting killed. Yeah, it is confusing for sure. Now, his powers include all kinds of other bizarre things. So there's the obvious, you know, possession thing. But then uh, I have I've compiled a small list here. Uh of things that freddy does in this movie so for one he has the amazing ability to i guess possess appliances and make toasters Uh catch on fire when they're not plugged in good stuff right you could probably get pretty creative with that skill yeah i guess you could he has the ability to transmogrify animals i guess as Okay, right. He he turns uh, a couple of dogs into some human face dogs, and he creates a rodent of u- unusual size. Yeah, and like a, a mutant cat that catches them, and yeah, apparently too in the absolute most bullshit, ridiculous, unexplainable scene probably in the entire Elm Street series. There's the scene where the family's uh, love bird goes completely mental and flies around the living room and then explodes for some reason? Yeah, it just combusts. Well, apparently, too, the special effects guy had made, like, a large-scale parakeet with, like, a really fucked-up crazy face, kind of like the the dogs and the mouse and the cat that we see later on in the movie. Uh-huh. So that was also supposed to be another weird chimera mutant animal creature in here that Freddy had again i guess created or manipulated in some ways but that didn't make the final cut of the movie so he's got these weird animal changing powers p.s i really love those dogs with the uh-huh the human faces yeah, on they're weird they're well, real weird and also too like they totally look exactly like what any of our dogs do whenever you like put you know like a t-shirt over their head or like a pillowcase uh-huh. over their head where they just kind of like look around like hang on I, I, I can't see What's what happened? is this yeah, like they, they don't look mean or intimidating or, or fierce no. at all. They're just kind of like, huh, what? Why am I wearing a mask? Yeah. Now, he also has uh, the ability to, I guess, turn invisible or teleport because he kind of like yeah, he jumps through the window and then vanishes. Times. And then he like walks through the fence and vanishes, I guess. Yeah. Okay. His, his powers don't make any sense in this movie, but Ben... Let's let's make that secondary to dealing with my main problem, which is who's he getting revenge on? Yes, exactly. Now that is that is a great, great, great point because actually, fuck, man, I hadn't even thought about that. The movie is called Freddy's Fucking Revenge. Yeah, who's he getting revenge on? None of these people have anything to do with the first movie. No, huh? Yeah, none because- of them have anything to do with uh, the killing of him as far as i understand these are just different people yeah because that was the whole motivation between freddy killing people in the first place is like Mm -hmm. oh you know the parents of these kids killed me well fuck you i'm gonna come back and kill your children like that's a pretty fucking metal revenge kind of story but yeah you're right jesse and his family moved here they didn't have anything to do with freddy why is he trying? God damn it. You just kind of ruined this movie for me. <laughs> I well, really had not thought about that. 
Yeah, the Freddy's Revenge part, we just, I think, just has to be thrown out. It should have been in the beginning. First off, uh, you don't need a, a colon title for a horror movie. Just don't do it. Right. Just ever. Just go uh, Elm Street 2, Elm Street 3, Elm Street 4. You don't Done. need Dream Warriors. You don't need, like, whatever. Just say whatever number it is. I'm fine with that. Don't want to know don't want to have to try to suss out what you meant by Freddy's revenge when he obviously isn't getting revenge on anybody. I can't believe that I had not noticed that before. Yeah, because even like in Elm Street 3, he's trying to kill the last children of Elm Street. It's like there's still somewhat of a connection there, but in this, there is absolutely no reason he would be killing all these people. Fuck. Now, another of my favorite powers that Freddy exhibits in this movie is his power of biting calves. (laughs) <laughs> as Man. our young Meryl Streep impersonator is trying to escape he grabs her by the calf and bites her even though he has like this glove of razor sharp uh, claws where he could have just fucking cut her leg off he bites on her Freddy and this doesn't have a glove the claws grow out of his, the end of his fingers okay he does at times there's parts in the he first does movie times. where he does yeah. have a glove he like, does in, at uh, times but later he doesn't yeah it's, yeah um, but yeah, okay, so I have a, re- a real great theory about this movie. Okay. So, the uh, young lady who plays, uh, what's her name, Lisa? Meryl, Lisa. Meryl Streep. Well, okay, so she is a scroll impersonator of <laughs> Meryl Streep, but... <laughs> yeah. She also has, she also has, you know, because the scrolls they gave their impersonator several of the powers of uh, Earth's Mightiest Heroes and uh, Mutants, etc. So she also has the powers of uh, Emma Frost, the White Queen, Mm. which is how she is able to see things happening in front of her, like the dogs with the weird faces, etc. And then they go away because she can block them out of her mind. Yeah, they do. So, And also now, because she's been bitten by Freddy Krueger, she's become, of course... Aware Kruger, and she will become <laughs> Freddy uh, on the full moon. So, Aware Kruger. Yeah. So she's a she's a scroll impersonator for for wait, what's her name? Meryl uh, Streep. Meryl Streep, right? Scroll impersonator for Meryl <laughs> Streep, who's now Aware Kruger. I'm on board with that. I think that that sounds like a really appealing kind of movie. Yeah, and that's what this movie is. That's that's in my mind. That's what happens here. And also, a young man goes through some really tough realizations about his sexuality. <laughs> now, I guess the only way that I can really rationalize. Okay, there's two ways. I guess you could say that you could kind of rationalize all the really silly, weird, unexplainable shit that Freddy has the power to do in this movie. Uh-huh. Um, for one, if you just go ahead and say that this whole movie is a result of Jesse falling asleep on the bus and this is all a dream. Yeah, that then, seems right. Yeah, then Freddy can actually do anything. It's like, if you're in a dream, yeah. there's no limits to what you can or can't do. So, if you do make the bullshit excuse of this whole thing's a dream anyway, then okay, Freddy can do whatever. He can appear in the real world at a fucking barbecue and murder people at a pool party. Um, yeah. Another idea that I had, too, that is in no way implied in the movie, but I guess you could kind of rationalize it, is to say that, you know, imagine if rather than Freddy having power over your nightmares, 
it's almost like a bad translation was made, and the guy that wrote and directed this was like, oh, so Freddy can make reality into a nightmare. Got it. Because a lot of the stuff that you see in this movie that can't really be explained is like a waking nightmare kind of scenario. Yeah. E- even like when young, you know, Skrull Meryl, Meryl Streep, like, <laughs> she she thinks that her leg has like... Uh, like maggots and oh, stuff all over it. Oh god, that's a gross scene. Yeah, yeah, and then it turns out it's not. Or like I said, the yeah. de- the demon animals or whatever. It's like a lot of these things are like nightmarish scenarios in mm-hmm. real life. It's it's like a bad translation of what Freddy Krueger is about. Yeah, I mean, uh in the end Freddy Krueger is very much the Shadow King in X-Men yeah. comics and in <laughs> yeah. uh like and the shadow king is i would say uh, a better version in the end because it's more well thought out but freddy krueger is a much better character right um so what freddy has here i think if if we just take what the movie gives us and and take what we know about freddy from the previous movie and from future movies what we might find here is that this is a good episodic story about Freddy trying to come back to his dream world and actually uh, finding a a way into reality Mm -hmm. on accident maybe. He's found this way into reality and now he's able to affect reality. Now, none of this is explained. None of this has ever gone into, but I think, you know, for me, rationalizing it and and thinking of the way that Freddy works, that that could be a real good, interesting, one-off story about Freddy, where he's trying to come back from a death, but he accidentally, or maybe maybe you know, there could be a middle story, a 1.5, uh, if you will, mm-hmm. that tells the story of how Freddy it found this way to affect reality yeah like where you see how freddy you know maybe uh using his his dream powers etc uh was able to slowly influence the minds of these teenagers to the point where he actually was able to leap into reality and it's something he wasn't ever able to do again well see that's the thing too man is i really think that you could have played this movie you know, even playing it in the kind of possession angle that this movie does, it would have yeah. been so easy to play this and make it all very believable and very understandable if you just would have played it as Freddy found a sleepwalker, you know, a vivid sleepwalker to inhabit yeah. in his dreams. Yeah. And, and basically this guy, Jesse, you know, he's a sleepwalker and... Freddy enters his dreams and takes over while he's sleepwalking and has him do his bidding. Like, that would have been a much more believable angle than this, you've got the body, I've got the brain, kill for me kind of thing they <laughs> have going on. I love that line, though. Oh, it's kill awesome. I love the way he presents it. It's like, it's just like, kill for me. Yeah, dude. It's, like, it's awesome. Yeah, it's so, uh, I don't know, like, it's so Freddy, but it's also so uh, blunt. Like, he doesn't even fuck around, because, you know, later, as we see with Freddy, he likes fucking around. He likes making these elaborate dreams to sort of take out kids with. Right. Uh, but in this, he's not fucking around. He has no time to fuck around. He just says what he wants. Kill yeah. for me. 
Yeah, and there's basically no, like, no real legit dream sequences to speak of in this movie. There, I mean, there's a few, like, little small ones, I guess, that you could say, but nothing at all like what you think of when you think about the the Elm Street kind of series and its elaborate dream sequences and, and, and deaths and stuff like that. Um, there were several times in this movie where I was just going... Well, okay, like, for example, like, the scene uh, with the coach's death, which we'll, <laughs> we'll talk about here. <laughs> you know, it's like, I was watching that scene where he is getting killed, and, you know, Jesse is realizing he has the Freddy Krueger glove on and stuff like this, and I'm like, who the fuck's dream are we in right now? Like, who's... Yeah. Is Jesse... I mean, because Jesse, he wakes up in the middle of the night and goes to... Uh, an S&M bar and then you know the, the the coach sees him there and I guess decides some extracurricular punishment is a good idea and then they go to the gym and I guess like are we to guess that Jesse while under the the hot water of the shower just sort of drifted off is he daydreaming maybe like is is it is it possible that his desires are what make these kills happen? Right, yeah, exactly. Although, I will say, I do love in that scene where it shows him standing in the shower and there's all, like, the steam and stuff. Yeah. And, and then Freddy walks through the steam like he's just kind of transformed. I think that's fucking awesome. I like that. Yeah, there are a couple of great transformation scenes in this. Oh, so, man, dude. Like, yeah. him, like, busting out, like, Freddy physically clawing out of of jesse's body it's so fucking sick i think it looks so cool yeah i really like that i like the idea that freddy is something contained within jesse and that it it's so powerful that whatever it is jesse's afraid to let out is so powerful that it's somehow given Freddy a second chance at life but also giving giving him power over reality Mm -hmm. so like what what's inside Jesse what he's afraid people will know about him is portrayed as this very powerful thing right that uh, I mean I I don't know how conscious the writer uh, what's his name David Chaskin was of this I know that he has admitted that the he wrote the character as gay mm-hmm. and we know that the actor mark Patton was gay right so like the character's written gay mark Patton is gay there's there's a lot to dig into here but we also know mark Patton uh has said he was upset with david chaskin for making him play this role in this way and play out these things because he had just played a gay character before this and then playing a gay character again ruined his career because in the eighties in Hollywood, if you were the complicated gay character, you're not going to get roles. If you're the funny gay character, great. If you're, you know, if you're the, um, uh, down on his luck gay character, sure. You can play a drug addict and a bunch of cop shows. Yeah. But if you're just the complicated gay character, who's dealing with his sexuality, it scares people away. People don't know what to do with you in yeah. the eighties. Well, yeah, I was going to say, especially people don't know, what, know what to ago. do with you. Now there aren't a ton of great, like still, even to this day, there aren't a lot of good gay horror characters. 
Yeah, exactly. Or just fucking movie characters in general. Or in general, yeah. Now, that's something that I was going to ask you about is the the kind of controversy of was all this gay stuff in this movie planned out or not seems to be really constantly up for debate. And basically everybody in the movie has had conflicting reports about yes or no about that stuff. Like I've seen interviews with the director where he was like, yeah, I didn't really notice it. And then like in Never Sleep Again, he's like, yeah, looking back on it, I guess I saw that it was there. And even like, um, uh, you know, is it Mark Patton, the guy that plays Jesse? Yeah. Even he, you know, in one interview back in the day, like when he was being questioned about like the the dance sequence in his room, which is one of uh-huh. the, the gayest scenes in movie history. <laughs> by yeah, uh huh, by he, far. You know, in one interview back then, he said that he improvised all of his dance take and he was really nervous about it stuff, but he made up all the moves himself. And then later in an interview, contradicted that and said. Yeah, every move, everything I did on screen was in the script. It said, you know, I bumped my butt mm. on the drawer three times and then fucking jack off this little wooden whistle thing or whatever it is he's playing with. It's everybody seems to kind of contradict themselves about it. And I guess, yeah. you know, you can chalk that up to back then, you know, back in when was this released? 85, is that right? Uh-huh. Yeah, 85. You know, out and out saying, "Oh yeah, we made a we made a gay movie out of one of the biggest, hottest horror franchises ever," would kind of be a quick way to get like blacklisted back then. So yeah, I wonder how much of this was just them trying to save their own asses and be like, "Oh no, I didn't really notice that," but looking back on it, I guess I can see it. I think, <laughs> to be fair, it, it's probably more likely that while they were making it they all had their own conflicting opinions that they didn't really talk about and now some of them who have been denying it for a long time because they knew it would make it would have a negative impression on the movie right have seen now that it would have a positive impression on the movie and whether or not it's true have started saying yeah that's that's what we were going for Mm -hmm. so uh, either it was untrue before, either they were lying before or they're lying now. Right, yeah, one or the other, yeah. Yeah, and, and it is true that it's a lot of conflicting opinions, but in the end, I don't think it takes a keen eye to see what's going on here. Like, there's no there's no denying that there is an S&M club in this. There's no denying that... Um, the fight between Jesse and what's his name? Uh, fucking Grady. His Grady. Yes. The fight between Jesse and Grady is them exposing each other to one another and then rolling around on the ground. <laughs> yeah. Wearing jock, jock straps and yeah, there's no fight to it. It's just rubbing wieners together. Like there, there's <laughs> so much phallic imagery and there's so much like obvious, uh, gay tension f- coming from Mark Patton's character Jesse and also being dealt with by other people around him yeah now Steve I've made a little short list here of just some of the gay stuff in the movie that I noticed and I just want to ask you about 
about them and see what you think and see if you notice them as well. So I okay. probably bet that you did. So, like, let's say, for example, in the opening of the movie, whenever Jesse is on the bus that's about to go off-road and stuff. Yeah. Which, P.S., you know, of course, Robert England's the one driving the bus, right? Uh-huh. I actually have a story about that. We'll get to it in a little bit. <laughs> oh, okay, rad. Well, I was going to say, like, the funny thing is, is that there is a body glove sticker on the dashboard. I saw that, yeah. <laughs> I've seen a bunch of, of like, you know, just little uh, reviews and stuff, and they're like, why the fuck did they show us this body glove sticker? Because the glove. What? Come on, guys. Well, dude, and also, too, in uh, the first Elm Street, Johnny Depp's character uh, has a body glove poster in his bedroom. Oh, all right. So awesome. that was kind of a clever cue, I guess they are trying to keep going there, but... Anyway, so in the opening scene of the movie where he's on the bus with these girls, it's like it's on the bus and all that there is is he's in the back seat and there's these two uh, teenage girls that are chattering in the seat ahead of him. And they're talking about like basically how unwantable he is and just like talking shit about Jesse, even though he's sitting right there. Yeah, and he's he's got like this nerdy grease haircut yeah. that he doesn't have in the movie. So it's like. But, I mean, it's our first introduction to him, so we're being shown him through his own eyes. He sees himself as this, like, greasy weirdo that nobody likes, but we find out that's not true at all. Right. And just as a PS, like, that's one of the only really legit dream sequences in the movie. I yeah. think it's fucking cool with the bus running off road and then ended yes. up on the on the very phallic spires that it's like balancing on uh-huh and yeah and freddie running his his claws across the street uh uh the seats and it just makes that like great sort of ripping noise yeah yeah it's it's good it's nice and menacing did you notice all the fucking whale sounds that happen while freddie's on screen no okay see i didn't notice this until like this time through watching the movie um Almost every time that Freddy is on screen, and even if you go back to the very first of the movie, when the bus is coming around the quarter, you'll notice it. There are fucking whale sounds, like, ooh, ooh, like whale song sounds. Holy shit. Okay. It's weird. It's like really kind of a subconscious thing that you don't really notice. You almost think of it as a soundtrack cue or something, but it's fucking whale noises. Huh. I don't I, know. Yeah. I want to, yeah, I want to pay attention to that. I wonder if that's supposed to indicate when a dream is happening. It's apparently something that they said they wanted to do anytime that Freddy was on screen just to make him seem creepy oh, okay. or whatever. Well, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. So I anyway, can see that how that works. Yeah. So more more gay stuff in the movie here. So, um, well, okay, we have the the coach that we talked about earlier, who is referred to as having a stick up his ass, and how he likes yeah. S and M joints and pretty boys like Jesse. Uh huh. So he's he he's into some pain himself. Uh, he, he likes to stick up his ass, but he, he likes, I guess, to also fuck young boys in the ass or something like that. I'm not sure exactly what he's going for. Did you notice the coach's office and some of the stuff he has hanging up in his room? Yeah, a lot of weightlifting. Yeah, uh, it's all like posters of like male dudes with their, their shirts well, off that, and I shit. mean, that's what those were originally for. The idea of a, a muscle building magazine was gay porn like that's what it was for look out yeah so if you're if you're I don't know reading men's health or whatever it's 
it's subtle gay porn. Like, <laughs> it's it's as subtle as gay porn can get, I guess. But like, you're Hidden looking at all these sight. dudes with not. You're looking at all these nice physiques, and you're like, boy, I wish I looked like that. It's, yeah. Uh, I mean, okay, great. Uh, hopefully, you know, um, you're comfortable with that. I hope you are. I know that uh, it's no big deal to look at another man's physique and say, that's nice. Yeah. But I, I hope that you're not using it as a way to maybe hide from yourself. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Just be real with it. Dude, be real with it. It's cool. It's fine. Nobody gives a shit. No. Well, a lot of people give a shit, and it's real hard, and I'm sorry I even pretended it wasn't. But, <laughs> That's um, a quick back paddling right there. <laughs> yeah. Well, I had to, because it's like, I don't give a shit, yeah. but a Apparently lot of a people, lot of people do. fucking yeah. do. Yeah. But uh, you know what? You're safe with Uncle Ben. And there you go. And Hollywood Steve. Exactly right. Now... Let's talk a little bit about Jesse's, uh, his inner sanctum, his room. Uh, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of, there's a lot of funny stuff hidden in there. So, okay, on his door, there's a sign that says "No chicks allowed." Okay. Did you That's notice that? That's interesting. I didn't. <laughs> yeah, it says "No chicks allowed" on the front of his door. Wow. That's interesting <laughs> because on. Uh, Darby O'Gill, what's his name? God damn it, Ron D D Darby D Drabby Grady. Grady is his name. <laughs> You're like me uh, on the fucking whose name was it that I kept fucking up? Where I was talking about Christian Bale and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, Darby O'Gill and the little people on his door. He has uh, a thing that says no nerds. And below that, he has one that says no turkeys. And <laughs> <he> really? <laughs> yeah. I wonder if it was, I don't know. Like, I wonder if it was supposed to be in opposition to no chicks. That's like, awesome. No turkeys. no turkeys. Though, though, turkey is one of my favorite insults to throw at anybody. Absolutely. How do you defend that? Somebody calls you a turkey. It's like, oh, 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 oh. Uh. In what way am I like a turkey? <laughs> yeah, explain more. Elaborate. <laughs> Grady's got some sick posters in his room, too. He's also got a Frank Zappa Them or Us poster. He also has a poster of, uh, Le what's his name? Limal? Limal? The never-ending story singer guy? Yes, he does. <laughs> I noticed that. <laughs> and I think what? he also has a Whitney Houston poster in there, too. Well, obviously. I mean, it's Whitney. I mean, Grady's room is dope, dude. Did you see his fucking bedroom uh, suit was like his fucking... His comforter yeah. and stuff. They look like trash Dude. bags and Ferraris. So dope. I know at that age, like, uh, I mean, I guess I wasn't ever that age when this came out, but like, <laughs> I know in like 92 or something, I had something similar, like a bedspread that was similar. Cause I thought like that, like that black and red and those patterns are so cool. Shit, like, yeah, they are. From a 90s standpoint or 80s standpoint, it's like, that's so awesome. But looking at it, watching it again, I was like, oh, he's just got a twin bed. That sucks. <laughs> that's what you have when you're like a 30-year-old pretending to be a fucking 16-year-old. I know. I I grew up with a twin bed, had a twin bed most of my life. When my wife and I first started dating, I had a twin bed, and we used to cuddle on a twin bed 
And her parents bought us for our uh, wedding. They bought us a king size memory foam mattress. I cannot understand how the two of us ever cuddled on a twin bed. <laughs> what? You just stacked up is all. Y'all just stacked. Yeah. And also, just think about that. That's what Jesse's coming in and asking. I guess he's saying I might sleep on the this little love seat over here. Yeah. But I think he was going for like, hey, can I cuddle with you in the twin bed? <laughs> <laughs> on your sick bed made out of red metal tubing. Yeah. That me- that that bed reminded me of an NES. Like it just has those colors. Totally. That sort of color scheme and and that sort of aesthetic to it. I wish you would have had like a, one of those car beds, like a Ferrari bed, you know? Oh, that would be so awesome. I always wanted one of those. I of never course, had one of never those. had one. No. no. I I just had a bunk bed and then a, the same twin bed frame for like 10 years of my life. Terrible. You know what would be really rad? Okay, this is, again, as always, trademark Dead and Lovely podcast. Yeah. Because all of us now, as children that grew up, you know, really wanting that really sick, like, Corvette bed or that Ferrari bed or whatever, but we were poor and we could never afford it. Yeah. Well, we always wanted it, but now we're, like, in our 30s, we're settling down, times are becoming more reasonable. I Uh really wish that you could get maybe, like, a more reasonable car bed, like like a Toyota Camry bed or something. (laughs) (laughs) Or, like, an SUV bed, so it fit, like, around a king-size mattress. Yeah, something so the kids can pile into, and, you know. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That would be awesome. Yeah, I think it'd be rad, man. And maybe even, like, you know, like, single bachelors, they can have, like, a Dodge Viper bed or something cool. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's, That's what's, I mean, I'll tell you this. As a bachelor, you bring over a lady and you got a car bed, you are getting laid, sir. (laughs) And then you'd also have, like, the guy who, you know, is, like, closet gay or has, like, a small dick and he's got, like, a huge lift kit, uh, like, Ford F-150 bed. Yeah. He's like, I can't let people know my dark secret. (laughs) Yeah, I'll hide it behind this gigantic vehicle. Anytime you you see somebody driving a gigantic vehicle, just know they're hiding a dark secret. Yeah. And and if they let it out, you'd you'd probably be like, that's not such a big deal, guy. And he'd be like, why'd I spend $60,000 on this car? (laughs) Damn it. Nobody really cares, except a lot of people do really, really care. And yeah. they marched in the streets about it. God uh, damn it. <laughs> that they did. Fuck. <laughs> All right, more more gayness here in the movie. So we yeah, have let's our do that. We have our obvious uh pants off wrestling scene, the the Greco Roman wrestling that you saw, and then after they you know, their scolding for doing this gay wrestling is being forced to in the coach's words, assume the position. Yeah. And do like planks side by side, I guess. Yeah, they they're doing and uh this one of my favorite lines is spoken here and it makes no sense. And it sounds like the ramblings of a, an 8-year-old talking about sex. Where <laughs> um Darby O'Gill of little people fame of course. Uh, says to Jesse, are you mounting her nightly or what? <laughs> mounting her nightly. 
And then somebody also asks uh, Scroll Meryl Streep if she's getting any, and, and she's like, he's just my ride, or something like that. Yeah, I don't understand. Okay, I remember in high school, um, relationships can be complicated in high school, I guess, mm-hmm. because of different cliques and things, but primarily, if if a dude was accused of mounting a chick nightly, he wouldn't be like, let's fight about this. I'm <laughs> no mad way. at you. No way I'd have sex with that young lady who looks like Meryl Streep. Why would I do that? Now, in my school, those would be fighting words. Oh, yeah. Because it would be your brother saying, are you fucking mom? I guess so. <laughs> And you'd be like, I am not having sex with their mother. <laughs> so there's there's that whole scene going on with those two wrestling over that and all that. Now, my favorite, though, is definitely the death of the coach. The, the coach death scene where as Jesse is in the shower washing off after being made to, uh-huh. to run laps, the coach in his office uh, is assaulted with balls. <laughs> all That's different exactly kinds of what balls. happens. All different kinds of balls fly at his face. Big balls and little balls, just balls. Just balls, balls, balls. Everywhere. And then he gets uh, tied up with some jump ropes and drug into the showers where he is uh, popped in the ass by towels repeatedly. Yeah. And you see his, like, his very red ass uh, repeatedly as he's getting whipped by towels to death and then freddy kills him by scratching his back so marquis de sade here gets a story of ode <laughs> marquis de sade <laughs> yeah this guy he's all sadistic and he gets suddenly massacized that's the word check it out I th- I'm pretty sure that I could probably take a few pops, uh, a few towel pops to the ass and get cut on the back and not die. I'm pretty sure. Mm, I don't know. Have you seen a little documentary called A Night Run Elm Street 2 Freddy's Revenge? Yeah, I have. Because I saw that happen to a man who seemed to be of a sturdy stature and in good shape, and he died like a bitch. It might be he got he got sliced up like a kielbasa. He, much like a pig, was skewered. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so maybe I'm underrating myself here. Yeah. Now that's that's obviously just ridiculously over the top, like on front street kind of stuff. Um but you know, I had another I had another thought too about this movie, and this kind of ties in together too with our are strange Freddy powers that are all over this movie. Uh-huh. Okay. So let's let's look at one thing here. So Freddy, throughout the course of the movie, he makes uh, Jesse's family's house extremely hot, right? Uh, yeah. Weird power. Uh-huh. He causes the birds to burst into flames and explode. He makes the toaster catch on fire. He makes the pool catch on fire. He makes yeah. the, the beers explode and basically just like jizz because it's so hot. He makes the hot dogs, the wieners on the on the grill, explode from just the heat. Just explode, yeah. 
as he teleports, there's fire that shoots out everywhere. Am I insane, or are they just basically trying to say that Freddy is flaming? Okay. So <laughs> is, it, is it right there? Okay, yeah. I mean, yeah, that... Yeah, I mean, because that's... Freddy represents Jesse's gayness. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, he's flaming. Yeah. It's yeah. right there. And it's like, why... Okay, why would this guy that was burned to death want firepower? Yeah, that sounds terrible. Yeah, exactly. And even like in the first movie, whenever he gets, you know, burnt by Nancy, he's like, oh, it's like it's his worst nightmare coming to life. Being I don't burnt like again. fire. Yeah, you I should hate have fire. known that. <laughs> so in this movie, I don't exactly think he'd be very welcoming of fire. I think it's just another way of, like I said, pointing out that he is the representation of all that is flaming yeah it does seem to be that that's what's happening and it yeah because his powers don't make sense otherwise no dude he appears at a pool party and throws around a bunch of patio furniture and just sort of like well he kills a few people i guess yeah, he kills that one teenager who I guess had aspired to be a hostage negotiator because he's like... <laughs> I love that guy. Yeah, he's like, hey, what's going on, pal? Like, yeah, how hey. can we help you? You know, we don't want to hurt you. Yeah. We don't want you to hurt us. <laughs> and then murdered. <laughs> I love that guy. Yeah, and that, murdered. And that guy's like one of the best actors in the movie. <laughs> he really is. And he he had a good point. Like... <laughs> Nobody had ever tried up to this point to just talk rationally with Freddy. Like, no. Hey, what's going on, guy? How can we help? Yeah. Well, I want to murder children. Oh, well, we can't let you do that. But, um, you know, maybe you could use the pool on Wednesdays. Now, what do you think acting-wise in this movie? How do you feel like everybody does? I think Mark Patton shows a lot of talent. I think he's awesome. I really do. Yeah. Like, I think that his character mm -hmm. is awesome, and he does a good job. Mm -hmm. He beat out Brad Pitt and um, Matt Damon for this part. Dude, and apparently fucking Uncle Jesse auditioned yeah, for this, John too. Yeah, John Stamos. Yeah, okay. I would I can fucking see that. love to see any of those dudes in this exact movie. It would be the best. Yeah, but I think it would be... It would be... Then it would have less realness to it that this mm -hmm. this has a gay actor playing a character going through exactly what he's going through as yeah. an actor in hollywood in the 80s hey maybe they should have got old richard gear am i right or am i right oh right you guys heard about those hamsters huh heard about that eh Oh, and Marilyn Manson had his ribs removed to suck his own dick. <laughs> and he was the guy from the Wonder Years. He's the guy from the Wonder Years minus some ribs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what makes him look different. You know what? I Honestly, if I were Marilyn Manson, I would encourage people to believe those things because it would make his career even more amazing. True. Child star, ribs removed, and he's still been able to sing on records. Highly flexible. Guess what? I mean, you want to challenge this guy in a look at your own tank contest? You're going to lose. <laughs> Hell no. <laughs> I bet it would be awesome if you released a yoga DVD one day. <laughs> <laughs> Marilyn Manson, suck your own dick yoga. 
<laughs> I would. I, I'd watch that. I'd watch that for sure. I like. Yeah. I like uh, Grady in the movie. I think that he does a really good job, just kind of being the sort of goofy meathead mm-hmm. friend. But at the same time, it's like in the scenes where. He's about to get you know killed by Freddy, and he's like freaking out and shit. I think he does a really good job of portraying that kind of panic that you would have right there. I think that Grady does a real good job in the movie. Yeah, and I think also Robert England is asked to do acting that is beyond what he's asked to do in any other Freddy Krueger role. True. Like he's asked to be very serious in this, and he he does it well. I mean, he's great, Robert England. Uh, he had a career before being Freddy. Like he he was already in a very popular uh, television miniseries and then television full series V. He had done a, a ton of other stuff before this, and he he stuck with Freddy Krueger. He he like saw it through, and I think should have obviously if if you make a another Freddy movie. Uh, he's he's got to be in it yeah like you can't there's no way of getting around it he is freddy yeah you can't do it with that terrible cgi no and i don't know i mean you might be able to get an actor who would do it and if if you're gonna put the makeup on him and not do the fucking terrible cgi yeah uh, you might get an actor who can pull it off but i think robert england even at his age is still in good enough shape to to portray a a freddy krueger who's maybe older or weakened yeah exactly i totally totally agree i think that would be bad as shit to see and i think also kim myers who is uh our scroll um meryl streep she doesn't have a lot to work with here I think her character's real stiff. I think her acting yeah. in the movie is just like really expressionless. I didn't really get yeah. a lot out of her other than being like, she looks a lot like Meryl Streep. That's kind of all yeah. that I got out of her character. I just don't, I don't think she was written well. Um, no, uh-uh. She's, she's basically just our eyes in a lot of situation. Mm-hmm. She, she's the audience. So we can see that like, oh, this is really happening. Like she sees these things. And she she keeps shaking them off when she's at the the old plant, mm-hmm. but she's seeing these things too. So she's she's our way in. If she's seeing them, then we have to feel like oh, then they are real. Well, the thing is too though is like they couldn't have made her too like interesting or appealing as like a love interest because there is yeah. no love interest here. Yeah, because she yeah he's not into her though. There is a. At first, really tepid makeout scene that turns pretty, uh, pretty suck facey. Where <laughs> makey outy? Yeah, it gets real makey outy, and it's like, wait a second, is this dude gay? Cause like, uh, I mean, I don't know. Obviously, I've had a lot of gay friends who used to have girlfriends that they made out with, and sure, uh, I guess, you know, he could just be imagining something else or whatever. But uh, that scene gets a little steamy, and so she she has to think that there is some love there, and he does say, as Freddy, but like, you know, in his own voice, that he loves her, mm-hmm. and she seems to, she seems to not react to that the way you would think. Right. Yeah, it doesn't seem like 
she's like, oh, I, I love him too, and this is real hard for me. It's more just like, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> I like that they in that scene too, they brought back like the weird, disgusting long tongue from the first Elm Street. Yeah. Uh, his, <laughs> but like, <laughs> he, he saw it as a curse, but I, I bet, uh, you know, scroll Meryl Streep would have been like, oh, okay, let's put that big tongue to use. You ever get freaky with that thing? Yeah, <laughs> like, I mean, all right, <laughs> you got a tongue hanging four inches out of your mouth. You know, you could sit and whine about it or like, hey, you know. Hey, what it do? What it do? <laughs> put it to work. <laughs> You know, one thing, too, I'll put out um, about this movie is like, okay, this last time that I watched it, um, I was making note of how sick the soundtrack is because the soundtrack has uh -huh. some really badass stuff in it. And actually, there's some stuff in it that's a little derivative. Like, actually, the very first scene in the movie with the school bus, there's a theme playing that sounds a lot like one of the Jedi themes from Star Wars, like the original Star Wars. I, gosh, I didn't notice these things. Okay. Go, go back and check it out. And it's got the whale noises behind it, too. So you've got two things uh -huh. to listen for there. Um, but apparently the, the soundtrack in this is done by, what's his name? Chris something or another. The same guy that did the Hellraiser score, which I love so much. Yeah, Christopher Young. Christopher Young. There you go. So like I watched this, and I was like, man, a lot of the orchestral soundtrack is really badass. And then I figured out, oh, it's the guy from Hellraiser. And I love the Hellraiser score, too. So... It kind of made sense, but it is kind of odd that this is actually the one movie in the whole series, which again, especially with this being the second one, is kind of weird that doesn't make use of the original Freddy theme. The original Nightmare on Elm Street, the bum, 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 you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Is nowhere in this movie. And I didn't even notice it until the second time that I watched it recently, and I was like, God damn, like the elm street score is not in this which is a travesty because i think that's one of the coolest themes ever yeah it's awesome and i didn't notice that it wasn't in here and now that yeah. you're talking about it i'm like oh right i mean they did they did toss in the the sort of freddy nursery rhyme sure the one two freddy's coming for you thing. yeah and i think one of the creepier uh, displays of that where the girl's jumping rope in slow motion. I love that. I think that's yeah. so cool. Yeah, it's a, it's a real effective scene and really uh, uses that in a different way. And it shows us that like that Jesse's either Jesse is not our way into this movie or uh, Freddy has so much power over his manipulation of reality mm -hmm. that he's able to even slow time in this instance. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like that. There's several really great visuals in this flick that I love. Like I said, the scene of Jesse stepping out of the steam, the girl jumping rope in slow motion. There's some really cool visual elements in this movie that I don't think it gets enough credit for. Yeah, the, this is a good Nightmare on Elm Street. Like, I would honestly prefer... Well, gosh, I like the other sequels. I would prefer, though, that we get these episodic looks into Freddy's day-to-day -day struggle. 
Yeah. Because that's what this is. It's like Freddy's struggling to get back into like the dreams of teenagers. And it's so interesting because in other films, he just has all the power. Right. Yeah. And this, he's not entirely, he's kind of like Voldemort in Sorcerer's Stone yes. or something. Oh, that's exactly how I, I wrote it is that the, yeah. there are a lot of scenes where like, especially in the, uh, the plant, the abandoned plant where he's on fire and basically he tells Lisa that you can't kill me without killing him. And yeah. I was like, Oh my God, Voldemort. Like that's yeah, totally. So this has that great interesting element to where this the monster Freddy is so attached to the the lead that killing Freddy would kill him or at least that's what we're told but actually burning Freddy a, a second time uh <laughs> makes it so that uh Jesse can crawl out of Freddy like a cocoon and now he's straight and everything's okay yeah like that's the end is obviously just like in the first one the end is a dream sequence it's right. not real right um but it might even be saying you know despite the fact that he fucking came out of his shell and kissed this girl yeah it's it did not solve his his internal struggles yeah and that's i wanted to bring this up because in 2012 mark Patton released Jesse's Lost Journal, which had 38 entries, which make his homosexuality in the movie even more, like, uh, clearly expressed. Really? He, it also intimates that his dad was a child molester. Oh, fuck. Um, Clue Gallagher? Yeah, and, and puts a lot of, like, other elements to the movie, but it also uh, shows us a realistic ending in which... Lisa dies. Jesse is put into a mental institution for the murders he committed. And mm -hmm. then uh, at the end, he discovers that Hollywood is making uh, movies based on his journal and Nancy's journal. Oh, shit. That's rad. Yeah. So there's like additional meta element to it that was introduced in New Nightmare. And I think it's great. I, I haven't read it, but I, I think the idea behind it is great. And uh, it served, it would serve as a real interesting, again, if we could make a 2.5 between Freddy's Revenge and the Dream Warriors and yeah. see what happens with uh, Jesse and see the movies go up and see that Freddy becomes this pervasive element in everyone's lives. And so he has that power then to just completely control dreams, which we then see in Dream Warriors. Yeah. That's cool, man. That would be a good idea. Yeah. Well, I, I really do I really do dig this movie for a lot of reasons, but I'm I'm interested to know what do you think of this movie as far as final final ratings, critique, scale of one to ten, where are you at on this thing? Well, um it's to me the fourth best Nightmare on Elm Street and that is not I'm not that's it's not like my ratings last week of Final Destination where it's like I just have to put it there because yeah. it's uh, the shit that rises to the top I still think it's good uh -huh. I I think uh, number one is the best 
I think uh, uh, New Nightmare maybe second, and, and then Dream Warriors. So it's either New Nightmare or Dream Warriors for second, mm-hmm. and then if, uh, fourth for me for sure is two because it's unique, tells a good story. Robert England is especially menacing in it. Yep. It uh, it has something different to to present to us a new view on this world, and it, I think Mark Patton does a great job of of acting out this character's real struggle with his sexuality yeah yeah i think that you're absolutely right man so if i uh you know throwing a rating on this i think uh it has some has some cheesiness to it i but it it has some some great weird depth to it the the cereal that the little sister's eating at the beginning is Fu Man Chews, <laughs> and she's trying to get the Fu Man Chew fingers out of it that then cause Jesse to remember the blades on the glove. So like, there there are a lot of like interesting details, and I I actually do like that, despite the fact that it makes no sense that Freddy suddenly has all these powers, I. I like what it does. It introduces some chaos into the nightmare films. Yeah. And it, it, I think it in the end adds depth to Freddy as a character. So I would say that in the end, this is for me a a seven and a half. I think that's very fair to say, man. And it's kind of like what you're saying, like in the grand scheme of the, of the Elm street movies, which I love, like even, even the worst ones, like I still really, Oh, sure, yeah. I still really enjoy him. I think it was the first, like, big horror franchise that I ever really watched all the way through, so I'll always have a real soft spot for any Elm Street movie other than the fucking remake. No. Yeah. <laughs> Which is terrible. But It's fucking the worst. Yeah, but I think that this one uh, does totally hold up. I think that it gets, it gets criticized a lot, and like we said, a lot of the mythology does not make sense whatsoever. Um... Like I said, unless you extend it to he can make reality a nightmare. But even that, that mm-hmm. that's a stretch, you know. Uh, there's definitely some issues with, like I said, the mechanics of how Freddy works. But I do enjoy that this is the last time that we get to see Freddy just be menacing the whole movie through. Other than New Nightmare, he's actually very menacing in that flick, too. There's no wisecracking Freddy in that movie. Yeah, that's true. But, you know, basically, once we hit Dream Warriors, and especially when you get into Dream Child and stuff like that, uh-huh. it's almost more of, like, fantasy horror. Like, a lot of the stuff turns from, you know, weird, like, dream logic horror, like what you see in the first one, into just all-out fantasy. So, I enjoy the fact that this one is different um, from that. And it's also just fun, too, seeing a male lead role in an Elm Street movie. That's just different, you know? Yeah, we get a final boy, which um, is our second now, because we had in Evil Dead, Ash is our final boy. It's very true. And this, we get a final boy. So, I, I mean, again, I think that uh, Mark Patton's idea of what really would have happened there in the end is is great and probably more accurate to what did happen, because the ending that we get is just super ambiguous. Yeah. obviously a dream etc so uh it i don't know like i i see this alternate 
late 80s, early 90s horror genre that we could have had where, like, if people had followed this weirdness, like, this weirdness is, it, it's strange. This is a strange Nightmare on Elm Street movie and just a strange horror movie in general. Oh, yeah. But if people had really just followed this weirdness, we, c we could have so much creativity in horror where we wouldn't still be relying on a lot of jump scares and things. Because, I mean, this movie doesn't do that. Yeah, I, no, yeah I very much so. You're right. I can't think of a jump scare in this movie. This movie, it relies on the the inherent tension of what's going on to, mm -hmm. you know, create this interesting world where we're still like, oh, what is Freddy Krueger? We don't know what he is. We trying to understand what his powers are, trying to understand, like, did he die? Like, what's happening? Yeah. Um, I like that. I like that uh, unpredictability. But again that's hindsight because these things are predictable now because I've seen them so many times, not because they were predictable then. Sure. But you know, it's like, especially starting with like four, the series just kind of became, okay, here's a cast of kids. They have their own fears they're and weaknesses yeah. and they're all going to die in their dreams by right. means of those fears and weaknesses. Like this is the last, I don't know, I guess to an extent, dream warriors has a little bit of unpredictability to it, but this is the last one where you really don't really know what's going to happen. And I enjoy that about it too. So I, I really like the fact that this is just a refreshing detour in a lot of ways. And I feel like if this movie would have come out around the fourth one, I think that people would have been a lot more ready for it. If they had seen a bunch of movies where Freddy was in charge of the nightmares and he was killing people in their nightmares. And then this movie comes out and it's about a guy and Freddy's powers seem to be, you know, extended and growing, and he can manipulate reality a little bit. Um, or especially if, like I said, it would have been so easy for them to play this and make it make sense if it was just a sleepwalking thing. If it was Jesse sleepwalked and became Freddy and killed people in his sleepwalking dreams. That would have been so easy and so wonderful to do. This could have fit into the series, I think, beautifully. If it was just a little bit later and just with a few tweaks, but... Even as it is, you know, I still really, really just have a great time watching it. I love the characters of Jesse. I love the characters of Grady. Even his family is ridiculous. His fucking dad, played by Clue Gallagher, that's always yelling at him all the time and yeah. stuff. And um, always wrong. Yeah. That's, I mean, it still it still matches that uh, the parents don't really get what's going on yep. sort of thing. He thinks his kid's on drugs. It's uh, a cheap bird seed. Yeah, he's he's insane. The yeah. dad's insane, but he's, I mean, well-played insane. Yeah, definitely so. So I really i really just have a good time whenever I watch this movie. So it's a, it's a chicken soup movie. It's not perfect, but it puts me in a good mood, and I enjoy watching it. So I think I would probably rock this thing an 8 out of 10. Have a good time with it. Woo! Woo! So, Steve, now that we've knocked out another horror classic review here, what do you think we ought to cover on the show next week? You know what, Ben? I think we ought to throw him a screwball. Wild card! Wild card! Oh, shit, it's wild card time. Now, for y'all that don't know, every now and then on this podcast, you know, it's, it, this is a horror movie podcast, but we love 
all movies. All are welcome. All are welcome. All are welcome. <laughs> You're all my children now. Yeah. <laughs> so we like to throw in a curveball every now and then, and this is going to be our, our second wild card pick. What's it going to be, Steve? Well, a little film called Jurassic Park. It's about dinosaurs that lived 6,000 years ago with fucking that guy uh-huh. that built the ark, whatever his stupid uh-huh. name is. Noah. Noah built the ark. No, I was thinking about that fucking, what's his name? Something Ham? Oh. <laughs> Something Ham? You know, <laughs> John? Guy, John Ham. No, that, that guy that like Bill Nye did the debates with. Oh, Ken Ham, yeah. Ken Ham, there we go. Oh yeah, and then and then uh, the Ark went bankrupt, and he he blamed people not being faithful enough, and it was like, what? <laughs> oh, you're right. We weren't faithful enough in your stupid theme park, you ass. I just want to <laughs> use next week as an opportunity just to talk shit about him as much as I can. What a fucking idiot. Yeah, that sounds fun. I think. We should just uh, compile a bunch of Ken Ham quotes to throw in every once in a while. Maybe we do a game where every time on the show where either of us mentions Ken Ham, we take a shot. Oh, man. That sounds awesome. (laughs) By the end of the podcast, it's just like five hours of dead space because we're actually both dead. I was going to say, stay tuned next week for our deaths from alcohol poisoning. We're going to start this bold new venture of snuff podcasting. You know what? <laughs> Finally. Yeah. I think there are two genres missing in podcasting. The snuff podcast, and we don't have enough battle podcasting. Yeah. I, you know what? Hey, anybody, another uh, podcast out there, you want to battle us? We'll fucking get together. We'll have an audience to judge, and we'll podcast our asses off. Yeah. I and like people that. will be like, oh. like Two men enter. One man leave. Yeah, but instead it'll be four people enter. Well, however many people are on your podcast. You know what? I see maybe you got three, and that's a little bit of an advantage. Maybe you got four, and you're overreaching. I ain't scared. I ain't scared. We're the fucking reign and tag team podcast world champions. Woo! The one-time world champs. (laughs) I look forward to covering Jurassic Park because that's one of my absolute favorite movies ever. I look forward to talking about it, too, because I did not develop the same attachment to it that other people have. Yeah, uh, I'm not saying it's bad, but I when I saw it, I was like, oh, that's fine. I didn't get it. I didn't get it. And hopefully I'll get it this time. Oh my God. It's the fucking best, dude. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. Maybe fucking next week is our one-on-one battle podcast. Oh shit. Finally, two men enter. Well, two two men will leave. We're not even in the same room. We can't kill each other. Unless you kill me with your podcasting. Uh, I don't know. Uh, Comments? What, like, what, what would be the, the killing element of a podcast battle? I think what I would do is I would just like talk a bunch of shit about you on my YouTube channel. Get my suckamaniac army running wild oh, on you. Oh shit. Oh my god. That would be, I'll tell you this, that would be real bad for me. Because those dudes, they ain't no good. They come at you hot. They do. And they come at you hot. With some guitar licks. They'll come at you licking. (laughs) (laughs) 
It'll, it'll be like uh, in the Breaking the Law video when they're like going down the hall playing Absolutely. the guitar. And it's like, oh shit, not guitars. It's so good. Well, be sure to stay tuned next week for a really fun episode. It'll be a blast. Where can these people find us and reach us, Steve? Well, you can always email us at deadandlovelypod at gmail.com. Uh, you can also find us on uh, Instagram or Twitter at deadlovelypod. And we have a Facebook group, the Dead and Lovely Horror Podcast Facebook group. Wonderful. Please, you guys, be sure to drop us a message or question whatever movies you'd like to hear covered next or suggest other segments or anything else you'd like to see on the we're, show we're gonna we're definitely gonna get to event horizon fuck yeah i, I can't wait i've I love read that the one. emails i love that one man now you guys can find me on instagram and twitter at ben eller guitars where can they find you steve uh at steven spratling steven with a v the only way to spell it and i encourage you guys to please go on itunes rate and review this podcast it helps us out immensely to show up on those lists Mm -hmm. and feeds and top tens and stuff like that so please 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 if you enjoy this show go on itunes write a quick review uh make sure it's g-rated or else it will not get posted and give us a good rating that would help us out tremendously thank you guys as always for listening to the show and we will see you guys next time you guys have been just boldly attentive and wonderful and we have been dead and lovely. Bye-bye. Bye.